Christmas. It, it, the, the purpose, the, the, the meaning is in the name itself. We're supposed to be worshiping the newborn king. You see, I really think that if we want to make this Christmas better, it's not going to come with more gifts or baking or decorating or any of those things. What makes it better is learning to push pause in the middle of all the madness and to really worship, to show God that in the middle of all this that's going on around us, what we want to do is we want to worship the King. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about how to worship Jesus this season. And for the Christmas story, I want to share a few guys who chose to worship at that first Christmas, okay? These men knew how to find Jesus. They knew how to worship him in the middle of all the distractions, okay? And I want to share the story of the wise men with you. So if you got your Bibles, if you brought them, or if you want to open up your Bible on the Ridge app, you'll see there's a Bible section down there. You can follow along. It's in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to fill in some message notes online or in here, go ahead and open up those message notes. We're going to fill in some blanks this morning, okay? I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew chapter 2, and then I'm going to share with you a few choices we can make. And if we make these choices, it'll help us worship. So let's start with the first verse. It comes in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Okay, let's just push pause here. Let me give you a little background. Because the magi, the wise men, were political advisors, okay? We tend to think that they just studied astronomy because of that whole star thing, but they were actually experts in every subject in school, okay? They were the nerds that you wanted in your study group because they're the ones that would do all the work, right? So think of, think of these guys. Think of James Hosauer, Ken Jennings, and Brad Rutter, okay? Think of these, well, maybe not Brad. He doesn't seem to be doing quite so well. Anyway, but the Tournament of Champions, Jeopardy, right? But this is how smart the Magi are. And because they're so smart, because they're experts in every subject, they're often linked to the kings. Okay, they were advisors to the king. Sometimes they were even the power behind the power. And that's why they're so interested in Jesus being born. Is because this is a new king. And not just any king, but a special king. So they came to see him. And they came to worship him. But they came all the way from the east, and it's a journey that probably took months. And here's, here's a little bit of Christmas trivia maybe some of you weren't aware of, but they didn't actually arrive at the manger. They arrived much later because it says in Matthew chapter 2 that they came to visit Jesus in his home. So all those nativity sets with the wise men by the manger, if you want to be actually uh, contextually accurate, they shouldn't be at the stable, but they should be on the other side making their way towards Bethlehem. But just goes to show, it was a long journey. These guys, when they get there, they are so excited. They are so excited to see this baby born in a manger. Let me give you a first point. True worship, number one, we've got to have a sincere desire for it. It's a sincere desire. When you think of worship, one of the most important parts of worship is to desire it. And this might kind of sound kind of simple to say, but if you don't really want to worship this season, then you're not going to worship like you should because you've got to want it. You've got to have a desire to be with and to look for and to be near Jesus. 
But the problem for everyone, for all of us, and I just lump us all together, is that this time of year we have so many competing desires for what gets our focus. In fact, I thought this was kind of funny. I went back and I researched the top Christmas desires, the top Christmas wish list for the, for the past 55 years from Insider Magazine, and I thought I'd share this with you. Back in 1967, this was the number one gift right here. Can you believe that? Light bright. How many of y'all had a light bright? Let me see. Goodness, a lot of you had a light bright. This makes us look ancient, doesn't it? This was our iPad back in the day. And then in 1978, this was the number one desire. How many of y'all had a Simon? Let me see. How many of y'all could beat Simon? Let me see. No. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. Nobody could. That's good. <laughs> okay, 1981, this is my favorite. He-Man. By the power of gray school. That was, my, that was my big thing. 1985, this one scared me. Teddy Ruxpin. I always had a fear that this thing was going to come on in the middle of the night. You know what I'm talking about? I did not like that. 2000, here was the number one thing, scooter. How, how, many of y'all, how many of y'all have said, watch this, and then crashed and burned on this thing? Let me see. Oh, okay, That's, that was me. And then in 2016, I remember going all over looking for these things, Hatchimals for our family, trying to get one for the nieces and nephews. Now, now again, okay, the reason I show this is because we're talking about the strong desires people have during this Christmas season. And how people are willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to feel that desire. And you know what? This is normal with children when I show you these gifts. But what amazes me are the adults that still have this unhealthy desire for the things in life. And here's what I think. I think we have a spiritual hunger. That sometimes what we try to do is we feed that spiritual hunger with a physical means. We feel empty inside. We have a hole inside, so we try to fill it with travel. Or we feel empty inside, so we sit on the couch and we binge watch five movies. Or we feel empty inside, so we ask for and we shop for all these things that we feel like we need during the Christmas season. And there comes a point where we got to realize that God is the only one that can fill that void in our life. What we really need is what only God can provide. Our spiritual hunger can only be fulfilled with a spiritual means. So think about these wise men, these wise men. Think about where they are, where they've come from and who they are. They are political advisors to the king himself. They come, we're about to get into this, they come bearing gifts that are very expensive. They have everything they could possibly want in life and yet they realize there's more. There is something out there that cannot fill this void I have in my life. And I have a desire to know and experience more from God. And I believe that this Jesus can give it to me. What would change about us in the Christmas season if we had a strong desire for Jesus? What would change for us if we just stopped at some point And maybe every day with everything that's going on and say, God, just please remove all these distractions from me. And God, give me more of a desire for you and your presence. That's the first thing these guys teach us is that strong desire to know, to see, and to be near the King of Kings. Let's keep reading Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. They come and they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? 
We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. I, I love it. They see the star. They know it's a sign. They have this strong desire to know what God is going to do through this baby in a manger. They're ready. They make their way all the way to Bethlehem, and then they come in, and they're like, where is he? Where is he? We've got to see him. We've traveled so far. Man, we've come all this way. We cannot wait to see this Jesus. That brings me to point number two. Part of worship is having an expectant spirit. Again, it's like they had this strong desire, but they also expected God to show up in this moment. They're so excited. They walk in and they're like, we're here. Let's see him. Where is he? Maybe it would help us worship a little bit if we actually had higher expectations. If we actually had higher expectations to meet with and to be with Jesus. You see, there's something about your expectation that causes God to work in powerful ways. And the reason that I say that is because when you worship God and you expect him to move and to be with you and to speak to you, generally he doesn't disappoint. He never disappoints us. It's just we're not always expecting him to do anything. You know, think about this as it pertains to Sunday mornings for just a minute. The expectations when we have, when we come into this place of worship on Sundays, when we tune in online for worship together, are we really expecting to meet with the Savior or not? And let me just be honest. I know on Sunday mornings, I know it's tough. I know it can be hard. I know it's hard to get the family all together and get them to church. And I remember remember when we were up in seminary, and Shannon had to pull the weekend shift, and she wasn't able to go to worship um, with me and the girls on Sunday mornings, and so we couldn't worship together on Sundays, so we always worshiped together on Tuesdays at the seminary during chapel services, but on Sundays, I I was on my own, getting a four-year-old and a one-year-old out of the house, and let me tell you, it's tough. I know how hard it is, and I tried my best to get them dressed and to comb their hair and to get them ready for church. And let me just say, now for guys, this is what I've learned. For guys, buttons always go down the front. But for little girls and for babies, that rule doesn't always apply. Sometimes buttons go down the back. And so I'm learning And I'm getting them ready, and there comes a point where I would take them to the nursery, and I'd hand them over to the nursery worker, and they would look at me, and they would say, Shannon's working again, isn't she? And I would say, don't judge me. At least I'm here. (laughs) And I know what it's like. I know what it's like on Sunday mornings, and I, I, I know how it is. I, I know that we rush in, we, we drop off our kids, and, and we don't fully have time to really enjoy the experience before we're grabbing a donut, and we come in, and we sit down, and we're probably thinking to ourselves, oh my goodness, I don't even care if the message stinks, at least I have an hour away from my kids. <laughs> you may not say that out loud, but I know what you're thinking. What if we expected more? What if we expected on Sundays that Jesus is in this place? That when I show up, I expect him to move. And I expect him to talk to me. I expect to feel his presence in my heart. You you see, there's something about that eager expectation that pleases God that makes him want to show up in those moments. 
He never disappoints. That's part of true worship. Let's skip down to the 10th verse for the next point. It says this, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I think these wise men also teach us that in order to worship, you got to have a desire. You got to expect to meet with Jesus. And then also, you got to be filled with joy and you got to express that joy. In fact, the Greek words that are used in this verse literally means they express great joy. Basically, the meaning behind those words that are used is that they were filled with joy so much that it overflowed out of them and it spilled into the lives of other people. You know, part of worship is connecting with the fact that Jesus loves you. That God has a plan for your life, that he has eternity for you, that he has saved you. And when you get that, and when you understand that, that's what we say every Sunday morning, we want you to experience the risen Jesus. Because when you do, it gives you peace, it gives you hope, and it gives you joy. And here's the thing. They didn't just have joy. I believe they expressed joy. And I believe there's something about choosing to express joy that goes right along with this season. But also when we express joy to God, it helps us worship. And here's what I know about expressing joy. How you express joy might be different from how I express joy. I want you to express joy. I don't want you to get uncomfortable here, but I want you to express joy in a way that fits your personality. I'm not saying that if you're a little bit shy that you've got to turn into the most bubbly person ever. I just want you to express joy to God somehow, some way, because when you do, it helps you worship. You know, it's always interesting to me the different ways that people express joy. And I saw this on full display last weekend when I was at the, uh, the game. Now, for Shannon's birthday, for Shannon's birthday, she received tickets um, to the game, which we're not going to talk about, okay? We're not going to talk about it. But for the first quarter, when the dogs were up 10 to zip, there was a lot of joy being expressed. And everybody expresses their joy a little bit different. And the way that I express joy is that I yell and I scream as hard and as loud as I can. In fact, sometimes I scream and yell so loud that I make myself lightheaded. Other people around me, they high five, they fist pump. I kid you not, one guy standing in front of me turned around to the guy standing uh, behind him and he said, I love you, man. I don't know why, I guess he just loved everybody in red and black. One day, I remember I was at Sanford Stadium, and we were all cheering, and one guy turned around to me, and I went to give him a high five, and instead of giving me a high five, he patted my tummy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, don't touch me, don't touch me. Touch my hand, don't touch You can express joy, just not in that way, not in that way. Weirdest thing ever. And then you got some guys that don't do a whole lot. They just stand there. But you can tell they're expressing joy because they got this little smirk on their face. You know, they're smiling. And that's how they choose to express joy. And, and here's, here's where I'm going with this. We get so excited. And we express joy. And we cheer. And we clap. And we go nuts for our favorite football team. But when it comes to worship, when it comes to Sunday mornings, we hold back. What? What is, does that even make sense? Because we have, born in the manger, the one that came to save us from our sins, to give us eternity with God, and that should cause us to express some joy and to be excited, just as excited as I would be for anything else. Even more so. 
And here's what I know is that when I choose to express that joy, when I get so filled with the presence of God and I know and I'm expecting and I have this desire that when he moves and I'm filled with joy, when I express that joy, it helps me worship. And again, how we express that joy might be different for some It may be giving high fives, it may be saying amens, it may be lifting hands in worship, whatever it is. But whatever it is for you, express some joy for who God is and for what he's done in your life. And when you do, it'll draw you closer to his presence and it'll help you worship. And that's what we see from the wise men. Let's keep reading verse 11. It says, they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Focus on that word, bowed, when they bowed down and worshiped him. Uh, Part of true worship is number four, it's humbling yourself. It's humbling yourself. Uh, Think about the fact that these important men, some of the most important men in their area, they have traveled so far, they are political advisors to a king and yet when they come to this baby, they humble themselves and kneel before him. What was Mary thinking in that moment? Part of true worship means that I gotta be able to realize that I'm in the presence of someone greater than myself. And here's the deal, we're always in the presence of God, right? We, we, we know that, right? When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have the presence of his Holy Spirit with us. So it's not just that we meet with him or we're in his presence in here in Sunday mornings, although he is here, we're with him at all times and in all ways. He is with us every day and that's a very humbling thought. You see, what happens when we humble ourselves and realize that God is everywhere and always with us is that we begin to connect to his greatness. When I humble myself, I begin to realize that God is God and I'm not. And that's a good thing. When I humble myself and I connect with God, I I, I believe that, that God is strong when I'm not. It means that God understands when I don't. It means that God never fails even though I do. And that's the greatness of God and that's what I get to tap into and that's what I get to be connected to when I humble myself before him. I remember when I was a little kid one time, I surprised my family. I took some scissors, real little, and I cut the cord to the lamp. <laughs> and when I did, there was this pop. And my dad turned around. and was like, what did you do? And my hair sticking straight up. <laughs> and some of you know what it's like to feel that jolt of electricity <laughs> and to know that you're connected to something great. You know, that's what happens when we humble ourselves before God and we connect with him in worship. We get to be connected to his greatness. We get to be connected to that power and it affects us in ways that we can't even explain at times. There's one more point I want to bring up. It comes from verse 11. It says this. When they get there, they open up their treasure chests. And they gave them gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now this is probably the most famous thing that we know about the wise men is they brought these gifts to Jesus. And truth is, you know what? Well, we don't know how many wise men they were. We only say that there were three because there's three gifts. But what if there was a fourth? <laughs> I always crack up when I think that there might be a fourth guy that showed up and he didn't realize everybody else was getting gifts. And he's like, oh man, are you serious? But they give him gifts. And that brings me to the fifth point. 
true worship is being able to give God something of yourself. Worship isn't just taking in God. That's part of it, but it's also giving out. It's also an action. It's giving something of ourselves for God. And for many of us, we don't really think about this part when it comes to worship. For one thing, we, we wonder sometimes when it comes to gift giving, like what do you give somebody that already has everything? Like what, what do you give to God? These wise men, they gave him three gifts that each meant something. Gold. Gold was a gift given to kings. So by giving him gold, they, they recognized the fact that he was the king of kings. Frankincense. In the temple, frankincense was used as a perfume during the sacrifices as a sweet aroma to God. It was used by the priests. So in giving frankincense, that they, they were telling us that Jesus would be the perfect high priest that would connect us with the living God. He would bridge that gap for us. And then there was myrrh. Myrrh was a spice that was used for embalming bodies. Mary was probably very confused about this one. She probably wondered, did you keep the gift receipt, right? But this was the recognition that Jesus was going to be our Savior. It foreshadowed his death and his resurrection that would pay for our sins. You see, looking back on those gifts now, we see the significance of those gifts today. These men brought something of themselves that was valuable. And it became a part of worship. So let me ask you, this Christmas season, what can you give of yourself to God that's valuable? Maybe you can give God a decision. Maybe you've got some choices to make and you know that if you go this route and you choose to do what God wants you to do, you know it's going to cost you something. Maybe you can give him that. Maybe you can give him the gift of just having more of yourself, more time, more devotion, more of your presence. You know, the older I get, the less stuff I want, and the more time, the more time I feel like I need. The best part of Christmas is just being with my girls, right? Maybe what your heavenly Father needs from you is just more time. A deeper relationship with it, giving more of yourself to him might be the best gift you could give him. So let me close this out. I love the story of the wise men. I love their trip to see Jesus, to give him those gifts to a, to a newborn king. And as we plan to give gifts this Christmas season, don't, don't leave God out. Give him your best. Take a moment, take some time each and every day to truly worship him because that's, that's the gift he really wants from you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would please help us move from where we are right now to closer to your presence. God, help us to take the time to really worship you this season. And God, I just pray that you would develop these things within us. God, give us a sincere desire for you. God, help, help me to want or help us to want what only you can give. God, don't let us get so distracted by all the other things and all the other desires in this world at this time. But God, help us to have our heart in the right place. 
And God, I just pray that we would have an expectant spirit, God, to to build our faith. God, help us to look for you in the middle of all the chaos and expect you to do something great, to be with us and to show up. And God, help us to be joyful, no matter what's going on in our lives, realizing that you have provided and given us so much. And not only help us have that joy, but God, help us as we express that joy, God, that it would draw us closer to you. And God, help us humble ourselves. God, we just, we just want to humble ourselves before you, realizing that we're in the presence of the mighty king. And God, we just want to give. We want to give more of ourselves to you because you have given so much to us. Jesus, all this to say, God, just help us worship you. Help us take a minute to focus on you this Christmas season. The baby born in a manger that came to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. God, let that message, let that Christmas story stay in the forefront of everything we do. And may it move us to bow and to worship the King of all kings. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.